Good morning, everybody. I hope you're doing well today. Thank you so much for worshiping with us online. Thank you so much for being here in person. So today we are continuing with our sermon series called Faithful. We just started last week. And on this sermon series, we are exploring the many different ways that God is faithful towards us. But most importantly, we are looking into the fact that where we place our faith matters. Okay, where we put our faith matters. And today we're going to have as a foundation for this conversation uh, a scripture that comes from the book of Lamentations. And most scholars agree that the book of Lamentations was written by the prophet Jeremiah. Okay? It was something around 500 BC when Jerusalem was destroyed and all the people of Israel, all the survivors, were taken captive into an exile. Okay, so the book of Lamentations is a very quirky book to the point that you won't see probably very often people preaching on it. Lucky. <laughs> it's somewhat depressing, you know, it can make you feel like guilty, and it definitely uh, does not represent what we see mostly throughout the scriptures. It's some sort of poetry like Psalms, but it was written in a very particular way. But before we dive into the passage, before we read the passage, we're going to play a game. And church console is like, strike two. <laughs> Second time I play a game here, right? So, but I think it would be important to help us to get into the mood of Book of Lamentations. So, our students have played this game before, so let me tell you something. You cannot play that this time. But it is a game where we'll see a lot of similarities between the book of Lamentations, the scriptures there, and guess what? Taylor Swift's lyrics. <laughs> yeah. You want to see it? Okay, I think this game requires some trivia game music on the background. Where is the... Yeah, here we go. Okay. So, we're going to have some questions, and you have to guess... Is that coming from Book of Lamentations or Taylor Swift songs? Okay? So you can raise your hand and let me know. So first one, what is the first one? She cries herself to sleep at night, tears, tears soaking her pillow. Is that Lamentations or Taylor Swift? Taylor Swift? Most? Most? Okay, what is that? Lamentations, guys. <laughs> See? I'm telling you. Okay, one more chance. Next one. Your knives and swords are weapons that you use against me. What is that? Lamentations. Taylor Swift. Taylor Swift again, you think? Okay, what is that? You're right. Okay, you see we have some fans here. Next one. My eyes are blind with tears. My stomach is in a knot. What is that? Lamentations. Lamentations, yes, yes. Taylor Swift. Okay, okay, what is that? Lamentations. You're right, guys, finally. Thank you so much for being part of this game. We're going to stop here because I got someone speaking in my ear. Stop, stop, stop. All right, so now we've got into the spirit of the book of Lamentations. You saw it's so deep. Let's read the passage we have for today. 
we can find in chapter 3, verses 19 through 26. You can read on your own Bible, and we're also going to have on the screens. And it says, I remember my affliction and my wandering, the bitterness and the gall. I well remember them, and my soul is downcast within me. Yet this I call to mind, and therefore I have hope, because the Lord's great love we are not consumed, for His compassions never fail. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. I say to myself, the Lord is my portion, therefore I will wait for Him. The Lord is good to those whose hope is in Him, to the one who seeks Him. It is good to wait quietly for the salvation of the Lord. So, the conversation we are going to have here today is not foreign to any one of us. All of us, we have our struggles to different degrees, but all of us, we have, have been through a difficult season uh, with several struggles. Uh, we maybe are in a season of grieving and loss, or we will go through that at some point in life. You know, unfortunately, you know, death, illness, layoffs, divorce, all of that is part of life. So, today I might not have an explanation for the cause, for the roots of your particular struggle, but what I would like to offer to you today is, through Scripture, some ways that might help you finding hope. Even if it doesn't eliminate the pain of the moment that you are living. What we see throughout the book of Lamentations, but especially in this chapter here and in the section, is some sort of movement. Okay? It's like a pendulum that takes the author's feelings and how he deals with his surrounding reality from point A to point B. Okay? And what is interesting is that the movement won't necessarily change the circumstances, but they will change the perspective of one going through it. The movement won't change the circumstance, but will change the perspective. So when we read the first two verses of this passage that says, I remember my affliction and my wandering, the bitterness and the gall. I well remember them, and my soul is downcast within me. We see that the pendulum that I was talking about, I've mentioned before, is found in point A. And for this context here, we'll call point A as despair. And I call it despair because this is a place of hurting. It's a place that causes wounds, either physical and also emotional. By the time that Jeremiah wrote this book here, he was going through an awful time. I mean, big time. When I think I am struggling, I look at this guy, and boy, I feel confident. I feel confident. So let's do some exercise here. Imagine that we just had this baseball game, and of course, the Rangers won. Go Rangers, right? But then... The United States of the Houston Astros, they decide to invade Dallas. And they come to Coppell. And the very first thing that they do is to destroy, I mean, annihilate VRBC, the center of our worship. And they, then they go throughout the city, killing one-third of the population and taking all the survivors as captives to Houston. I mean... Think about that. You had everything here. You had your family. You had your friends. You had your community. Do you remember the places that you used to shop at? You remember Kroger? Kroger's was just over there. I loved going to Kroger. 
now it's gone. You remember the restaurants that you used to go, you know, Anamias and Jay Macklin's, in my case, McDonald's? <laughs> They're all gone. Think about that. It hurts, doesn't it? It hurts. What do you do about it? I guess what Jeremiah did, you lament. You look around and there is no reason to celebrate whatsoever. It's hard to see, you know, joy amid all the despair that you find yourself in. It hurts. And then you lament. And it's interesting to me how relatable these verses can be as we think about our own lives. But I'll get to that point. I remember my affliction and my wandering, the bitterness and the gall. I well remember them. And my soul is downcast within me. We see here that both, verse, both verses, they starting with this word, remember. What's going on in the prophet's mind, it's impact, impacting directly his heart. Impacts directly him emotionally. And that's the same for us. You know, what we are experiencing, it's going to impact here. And we have room in our minds just for this bad memories, all the nasty stuff that we had to go through, all the difficulties that leave so many scars. I well remember them, and my soul is downcast. And the structure that is used in Hebrew, the language that this scripture was written, for this word remember means I vividly, frequently Painfully, wretchedly, continually remember until my soul sinks down into misery and depression. I think all of you have heard when I shared about the time that I lost my father. It was a, uh, there was a lot going on around his passing. It was kind of traumatizing. But next year is going to be the 20th anniversary of his path passing. And when I think about it, I still have in my mind all of all of the details as if it was today. You know, all the feelings, all the emotional, emotions from that day, I can vividly remember like we see here in Scripture. You know what I'm saying? So, as I was reflecting on this passage, I was thinking of so many of you, so many that are going through such a hurdle right now. Some of you have been in this season for a long time, a season of hurting, a season where the pendulum that we were talking about, is, it's been on despair for a long time. Some of you are on this season, and you are trying to stay above water and try to grasp somewhere, and it's been so long that you don't even remember what life looks like without it. You are hurting for so long that it starts to numb. It looks like the pendulum is passing now through the valley, and then it gets stuck there. For how long? That's the question. We don't know. I don't know. Arthur, all that I can see is this huge mountain ahead of me. But with all the weight that I have on my shoulders, I, I just don't know if I can get there. I don't know if I can overcome it. It's too much. So I'm here, lamenting, walking through the valley, hurting and lamenting. I mean, what else can you do? 
You see all the wars happening now, all the bad stuff that it brings. What do you do about that? What do you do when a a family member, someone close to you, has some illness and is progressing rapidly? What do you do when someone close to you dies and you didn't have time to say goodbye? What do you do when you are facing financial difficulties or relational issues for so long? What do you do? I guess... You lament. I mean, there's nothing much you can do. That's what Jeremiah was doing here, looking around, experiencing the, the, the pain and the wounds of his reality, hurting, head down, and lamenting. Let me tell you something. Out there, there is this twisted version of Christianity that says that if you trust God, if you have enough faith, everything will go well. Everything is going to be fine. But we know that it doesn't work like that. I mean, a lot of you can come and say, hey, you think it's like that. Let me tell you about my life. Let me tell you about my life growing up. Let me tell you about my marriage. Let me tell you what I have to face every day in my work environment. It's just not biblical. So I know that some of you are on the edge of your strength. And you don't even know where to find the energy to keep going. Some of you are not finding the motivation to take care of yourself, to take care of others around you. Some of you, honestly, are having a hard time just finding motivation to do life. Hey, let's go to the grocery store to pick up something. I don't know. Hey, let's go to church with me tomorrow. I'm so tired. I just know if I can. The first thing that I want you to know, it is okay to lament. It is okay to lament, to be angry, and to ask questions like, why? Why me? Why this is happening right now? Everything was going so well, and why? It is okay to, but, but what you have to do is throw all of that to God. Bring all of that to God. As N.T. Wright says, lament is the seedbed of hope. And the Apostle Paul, he says that by him, Jesus Christ, we cry, Abba, Father. And when Paul was writing this, he's saying that when we lament, we are granted the right to pray exactly the same prayer that Jesus prayed in the moment of his most anguish. When he said, Abba, Father, everything is possible to you. Just take this cup from me. Yet, not what I will, but what you will. And then the Apostle Paul continues. We do not know what we ought to pray for, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us through wordless groans. And very often, we don't know what to say. God, this is so hard, I I don't even know what to ask. I don't even know what to say. It is okay to lament. And the Spirit of God that lives in you, He's there with you, suffering with you, and interceding for you with groan. You are not alone. Now, let me ask you this. How would you live your life and get through the season if you knew, if you were 
absolutely sure that everything is going to be okay? How would be your faith if you knew that despite of your challenges, despite of your struggles, one day all the bad stuff that is emotionally draining you, all of that would be over and everything would be better? What would that look like for you? You know, sometimes those terrible things, those awful experiences that you do not deserve for your worst enemy, they can become so destroying memories. They will let you down and keep you from looking ahead. And I don't blame you. I don't blame you. It can be tough. But something happens here. And then we see, we start to see this pendulum moving from this place of despair, passing through the valley. And then Jeremiah starts to use a word that he will use a lot of times in this chapter. And this word changes everything. We'll see the pendulum moves, moving from this place of despair and getting to a place of hope. And Jeremiah says, yet this I call to mind, and therefore I have hope. He's like, how could I forget that? And then he starts to remember, because of the Lord's great love, we are not consumed, for his compassions never fail. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. It's like something clicks in his mind, and everything starts to make sense now. Become more clear. And it's not like the situation he's going through is changing. It's not at all. But he can find hope. He starts to uh, see hope amid the chaos. There is hope in the midst of this terrible situation that he's facing because the Lord, Yahweh, the same one that was at the Garden of Eden, contemplating creation, the same one that rescued the people of Israel from Egypt, from slavery, and he said, I am who I am, and you are going to be my people, and I am going to be your God. This same God is faithful. Amen. He is faithful. It's another kind of memory, you know. It's like a teeth-greeting decision to call something to mind. It's intentional. You choose to think about that. It's an action of, of the will. And I would love for you to reflect on the fact that even if we are caught up within the challenges of our existence, in our mind, we have the freedom to choose where our focus is on. God gives us spiritual freedom. You know, the Apostle Paul, he wrote 13 letters that you find in the New Testament. And some of those letters he wrote from prison. One of those letters is the letter to the Philippians. And in this letter, he's saying they, that even if he's in chains, he still has the freedom the spiritual freedom that God gives him. Even if he is bound to chains, he encourages us to the fact that the gospel is advancing. And what does that mean? It means that all the people around him, seeing him in prison, I mean, prison is not fun. I haven't been there, by the way. I just wanted to make that clear. But I guess it's not fun. Otherwise, it wouldn't be prison, right? But all of those people looking at Paul facing prison in a certain way, it made them to ask these questions. Why this guy 
is still living like this. He should be feeling miserable. And then they start to ask, hey, can you tell me what is that? Can you, can you tell me why? Can you share? And then the gospel advances through it. We talked many times about the Psalms of David here and how he uses the Psalms to express himself, the joys of his life, the struggles of his life. And in Psalm 73, he's lamenting the prosperity of his enemies. And the fact that it looks like that living a godly life is time-wasting and all that you get is daily afflictions. But then something happens. And David says, when I tried to understand all of this, it troubled me deeply. I couldn't see the point until I entered in the sanctuary of God, until I entered in the presence of God. Then I understood their final destiny. Then I could see and understand God's promises. There is no apparent change in his situation, in his circumstances. Instead, a radical reversal of perspective. It's like when you are facing a thunderstorm and you are under this huge tree. How do you feel about that? Fear, right? Fear of being struck by lightning, right? But what if you are facing the same thunderstorm, but instead you're inside of your house? Don't you feel safer? What I'm trying to say here is that the thunderstorm will still be there, but what changes is the place you are. The thunderstorm will still be there, but what changes is the place you are. Because of the Lord's great love, we are not consumed, for His compassions never fail. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. And He's so faithful. He's so faithful that He decides to come down here to become one of us, to leave His mighty behind and to face everything that we have faced that we face in order to say, I understand you. I get you. Think about this for a second. When Jesus comes down from glory, he goes through all that you can imagine. Everything. Were you thirsty? Jesus was too. Were you hungry? Jesus was too. Do you feel abandoned? Jesus did too. Did you lost a beloved one? Jesus did too. Were you betrayed? Jesus was too. Were you beaten? Jesus was too. Are you facing something that is so challenging, that seems to be impossible to overcome, to a point that you pray, God, I'm not sure if I can bear this. If, uh, please, just help me to skip to this next season, to this next section of my life. I just can't. I can't do it. Jesus has been there too. Do you feel like you lost everything and everyone and all the weight of the world is on your shoulders right now? Jesus has been there too. Jesus went through all of that so we can, he today can whisper in our ears, hey, I understand you. I've been there and I know exactly what you're feeling, what you're going through. But here's the thing, this is not the end. This is not the end. When Jeremiah remembers the faithfulness of God, all that he has done and all that he will do, 
He feels hopeful on the rescue that comes from the Lord. He's hurting, but he's trusting that the rescue is coming. And then he continues, I say to myself, the Lord is my portion. Therefore, I will wait for him. He will come to rescue me. I know. And here he's remembering when he says the Lord is my portion. He's remembering when the Lord brought the people of Israel out of the slavery from Egypt to the promised land. And when they get, got to the promised land, he gave a piece of land to each of the families. One piece for this family, one piece for this family. And then when it came to the Levites' turn, the Levites were those in charge of the spiritual guidance of the people, the pastors. When it came to their turn, God said, you will have no inheritance in their land, nor will you have any share among them. You won't have a piece of land. I am your share and your inheritance among the Israelites. That's it. You have me, and I am enough for you, to you. Everything I am, everything that I represent, what I have promised and will do, that's what you have, and that's enough for you. God is enough. As I mentioned before, I know all of you, you have your struggles losing, um, you know, losing a job or, you know, losing a beloved one or going through uh, financial hardships. Some of you have been in the valley years past. Some of you are in the valley right now. But it's amazing how God's faithfulness can change the way you get through those challenges. It doesn't make them easier, but... It definitely gives you something to cling on to. I was talking to a friend the other day, and this friend uh, went through a really rough time. You know, this friend lost a beloved one, like, in a short notice, and also had to deal with a family member uh, with some illness. And I was asking, hey, how did you get through that? I mean, where did you find hope to keep going? And this person said, you know, I was... Reminding myself every day, remembering, doing this exercise, memory exercise, that the person that I lost was at the feet of Jesus, is at the feet of Jesus right now. And this person is whole and healed again. But more than that, the hope we have in God's promises for the future are far greater than any suffering here. And that gives me peace. Isn't it great? You see, that's some sort of memory exercise that you do when you're walking the valley of the shadow of death. You still have hope because you know that the Lord, our God, is faithful to rescue. And then Jeremiah concludes, The Lord is good to those whose hope is in Him, to the one who seeks Him. It is good to wait quietly for the salvation of the Lord. Hope springs eternal, says the English poet. But only when its focus is on the eternal Lord God. The word hope in Hebrew is a verb with a sense of waiting with expectancy. God hears you and he will do something about it. I wait because I know he will do something about it. And friends, let me acknowledge this here. It is so hard to wait. It is so hard to not know when. I can tell you by my own experience. But it is so 
important to wait on the Lord. Like Jeremiah, we are living in exile. This is not the end of the story, though, or the final destination. We are right now at this exact moment in exile. This is not the promised land for us. And we are crossing the valley with war and slandering, murdering, and injustice. And we are hurting. But today, Jesus is whispering in our ears. This is not the end of the story. When Jesus died on the cross, for you and for me, everybody around him, all the disciples, they thought that it was the end. You know, they lost everything. They lost direction. They lost hope. They didn't know where to go. They were hidden. It was the end. But then they forgot about what was told to them. And Jesus said that many times, hey, I'll be, you know, out for a while, out of combat for a while, but I'll be back. Just wait. I'll be back. But then after three days when Jesus resurrected, as he said he would, he shows up and they could remember, that's right. He promised that. He said he would come back and he did. And they would never forget that. No matter what was the circumstance that they were going through, they would never forget that. And they will always have their hope in the one that is faithful to rescue. The one that promises and pulls it off. So, I want you to remember that Jesus died for you and for me. Like, and like we learned last week, he's faithful to forgive my sins and your sins. And even if the worst happens in your life, in my life, in your life, Jesus is still the king, and he will be back as he's promised to restore all of us. He will be back, and he will restore all of us. That's my invitation for you today. Jeremiah did lament, but that's true, but he, ho he found hope and the assurance that the Lord would come to rescue. And that's exactly what I want for you today. As you lament, bring back to memory the God that you serve. Bring back to memory all the things that he has done for you. And place your hope in Jesus. And I can tell you that this hope won't disappoint you. God is listening to your cry, friends. God is listening to your cry. And he knows you are hurt. But today he's saying, this is not the end. I will rescue and make everything new. Jeremiah experienced that. And I would love for you to taste it too. So I have some bad and good news to share with you today. So the bad news is that maybe today, tomorrow, next week, maybe next month, at some point, things will not go as they're supposed to. Things will not go well. Something unfair will happen. This is a messed up world with messed up people. And if somebody told you that with Jesus, everything is about sparkles, they were lying. They were lying. I'm sorry. When and if it happens, it is okay to lament. But here's the good news. The good news is that you are not alone. Even in the darkest moments of your journey where it feels so cold and sad, Jesus is with you by your side. He gets you. He's been there. He experienced all of that, and he knows exactly what's going on in our heart and in our mind. More than that, 
your pain is his pain. And he promised that he will rescue and he will restore you. And like Jeremiah, based on this hope that we place in God's faithfulness, we will see a new day because his compassions never fail. So, here's what I want you to do. There is some homework for you. This week, we are going to think of someone that we know that are going through a tough season. It can be from your group, from the church, from, you know, co-worker, a neighbor, someone in your family, anyone. I want you to write down a note and send this to the person. And on this note, I want you to write down some of the words from today's scriptures. And you can use your cell phone to take a picture of that. I remember my affliction and therefore I have hope. Because of the Lord's great love, his compassions never fail. They are new every morning. Therefore, I will wait for him. The Lord is good to those whose hope is in him. It is good to wait quietly for the salvation of the Lord. We have some cards available in the lobby on your way out. You can use one of those. You're going to send this note out. Say a prayer for this person. And then, if that's the case, that you are walking in this dark valley too, as you write down these words, they will get ingrained in your mind and in your heart. And it will serve as a reminder that God is still God. His promise holds firm and he's faithful to rescue. So to close, I would like to invite my friend Jean Answorth over here. You know, she's been through this uh, experience of being on this despair place. She walked through the valley. And like many of you, she also experienced the rescuing of our faithful God. And I would like for her to share that with you today. Welcome, Jean. Thank you so much. Good morning. On Sunday evening, January 1st, 2012, around 9 p.m., my husband George, our son Matthew, and I received the worst phone call of our lives, one that every parent fears. Our beautiful 20-year-old daughter Libby had been in a horrible car accident near Auburn University where she was attending college. She wasn't wearing her seatbelt and she was ejected from the truck that her boyfriend was driving after it flipped three times. She was found on the side of the road. I remember thinking, this can't be happening to us. This doesn't happen to our family. This is what you read about in the news. This happens to other people, not to our family. But it did. What followed was three days of living in the ICU where we were surrounded by our family and many of her Auburn friends. There was a candlelight vigil held in our cul-de-sac where our Coppell community came together to pray for Libby and to pray for us. And many of the members of this church were part of that. The second day, we were riding to the hospital, and I remember thinking, well, I, I guess this is why I've been in all these Bible studies all this year, all these years. I've built my house on the rock. I just kept thinking how thankful I was that I had done that, because Scripture was the only thing that brought comfort. I described it like a salve on a burn. It was the only thing that helped. It was the only thing that made a difference. God kept bringing verses to my mind, and one that I remembered was Matthew 7, 24 through 25, which we sang about this morning. 
Therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice is like a wise man who built his house on the rock. The rain came down, the streams rose, and the winds blew and beat against that house. Yet it did not fall because it had its foundation on the rock. I can tell you that we have been to the bottom, and it is solid. After two days of waiting on test results, we had to make the painful decision to let our daughter go, followed by organ donation decisions. So many surreal, painful decisions that had to be made within hours of that horrible phone call. There was no way that we could have made those decisions with such clarity without all the prayers of everyone back here in Capel and all the ones that were surrounding us there. Everyone was covering us in prayer. It was clear. And looking back and preparing for this morning, I, I asked myself this question, how has this changed me? Well, there are many things, but some of the words that come to mind are acceptance. Um, some may call it surrender. Peace. A strengthened faith and assurance. At some point during all of the waiting for test results, I remember talking with someone on the phone from here. And to this day, I don't remember who it was, but what I do remember about that conversation, I remember saying, I don't get to pick how this comes out. I'm not in charge here. I'm not in control. But I do remember that God is in control, and he's still in control. And he loves Libby, and he loves Matthew, and he loves George, and he loves me. Of that, I was sure. That was my anchor in the storm. It gave me a peace that passed all understanding, and it still does today. I'm not going to understand all the things that happen on this side of heaven, Part of that acceptance or that surrender and peace is leaning into a trust. A trust that God loves us more than we can possibly imagine. And a trust that he has a plan. Isaiah 55, 8 through 9 says, For my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. As the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. Well, I hold tight to those words. They give me a reassurance that he does have a plan. And that plan is bigger and better than anything my human earthly brain can possibly imagine. The other thing I hold tight to is the blessed assurance that because of what Jesus did, I know without a shadow of a doubt that we will be reunited with Libby again. And when we are, we will never be separated again. That gives me a peace, and it makes me smile. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, you are the rock. You are the anchor. You are the only one that we know for sure that we can count on. So, Lord, I thank you for that. I thank you for your son who gives us 
all that blessed assurance. I thank you for your words, Lord, that you knew all these thousands of years later that we would need those words. And we thank you for your Holy Spirit that dwells within us and that speaks to us and gives us that peace. And I pray that peace for anyone hearing all these words today, Lord, that it would make a difference, that it would calm their hearts, that it would wrap around them, and that, Lord, they would hear your voice just as we did all those years ago and still do. And I pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.